This is Chris Martin, and me and my buddy Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Everything, host an NBA podcast called The Mismatch. They call it The Mismatch because I'm awesome and Kevin is a gigantic nerd. No, no, that's not why at all, Chris. They call it The Mismatch because I have a brain and you're a loudmouth bozo. Good grief. (laughs) Anyway, listen to our amazing NBA podcast, The Mismatch. Or don't. We really don't care. We're probably going to win a million awards either way. <laughs> Chris, we do care. So don't say that. Please subscribe and listen to The Mismatch only on Spotify. Did you really call me a bozo? <laughs> it's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help dot com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Let's roll, baby. Welcome in. It is a late Sunday, early Monday edition of New York, New York with yours truly. JJ, John Shostremsky. We're rocking and rolling right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. And I got to admit, folks, I missed you guys on Thursday. I feel like our podcast schedule was all out of whack because of everything that was going on with the New York Rangers. We've had so many of these Spotify lives that we have posted as a podcast. So it is refreshing and it's rather nice to be in a little bit of a routine kicking off the week and my goodness it was quite the eventful weekend and not just because of the Plavin Silman nuptials that were an absolute blast down at Long Beach Island Uh, we'll save some of those details for a little bit later on in the show look there's a lot of heavy stuff to get to let's do the Rangers right out of the gate and then we'll get to all the insanity with the Yankees Tim Anderson Chapman you name it I'm gonna do the Rangers first because they are in the postseason they had to have game three they had to have game three they failed miserably on that four minute power play in game two 
they have not played the style of hockey in this Carolina series that they want to play. They want to get up and down the ice. They want to play fast-paced. Carolina does not. Carolina control pace in the first two games. Well, the Rangers made it clear. Hey, game three, open ice. It's going to mean there are better Carolina goal-scoring chances, but at the same time, it's going to get the Ranger offense going. And star players got to step up. When you're down 0-2 in a series, your best players have to rise to the occasion. Mika Zibanejad, who came alive at the end of the Pittsburgh series, boom, scores the first goal of the game, comes alive in game three. Chris Kreider, who scored, what, 50-something goals throughout the regular season, comes through comes through in a big way, scores a goal. Then you get to Igor Shosturkin. It felt like Carolina had so many chances, so many opportunities to go and tie the score, and Igor played out of his freaking mind. Outside of the soft goal that he gave up, the only goal he gave up on this particular Sunday afternoon, Igor was fabulous. That is the blueprint for the Rangers getting back into this series. Carolina continues to stink on the power play. You had a little chirping between Tony D'Angelo and Gerard Gallant after the game. Love Gallant having his guys back. And the Rangers are back in this series. They are not in control. They still have a lot of work to do. They, in my estimation, need to go and win game four to really feel good about their chances of having a legit shot of pulling off this upset. It's not a sizable, considerable upset, but after all, the Rangers were, you know, plus 180, 190 on the Vegas odds at the start of this series. Carolina had the better of the Rangers throughout the regular season. Is this now the moment where the Rangers start that crack that code at Carolina, or is it a one-shot anomaly? We are going to find out. They needed this game. Lost today, boom, this series is over and there's nothing to discuss. Now you have life. Going into game four, you will have a rocking Madison Square Garden Garden crowd going into game four. And you're going to be feeling at least optimistic going in. So from a Rangers perspective, whole lot to like for them. Whole lot to like as they get themselves back into this series. And when Kreider missed the empty net, how many of you saying, oh, geez, here comes Carolina. They're going to give you the back-breaking goal. Thankfully, you get another empty net goal within like 15 to 20 seconds. Okay, so job well done by the Rangers on Sunday. We'll see what happens in game number four. The Yankee weekend is where we're going next. And the Yankee weekend on a lot of different fronts was eventful. They didn't play on Friday. They have the double dip Sunday. They lose two out of three. There are a lot of takeaways here. First, let's... Let's do the Tim Anderson stuff first, and then we'll do all the Yankee stuff. Look, it's queer. Josh Donaldson and Tim Anderson don't like one another. It's queer. They had the brouhaha last week. The benches queered last week. So I'm watching the game. I'm at this wedding on Saturday, and sure enough, uh, you know, I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Benches are queering again. Anderson and Josh Donaldson are getting into it again. What the hell is going on here? Then you start hearing about each particular side of the story after the game. Tim Anderson, not happy. Not happy about the fact that Josh Donaldson's calling him Jackie. Now, Josh Donaldson claims this is something he's done for a couple of years, that he's done it on multiple occasions, 
Bah, 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 bah. Okay, here's what I know. Point blank. It's probably something Josh Donaldson should not be saying. Shouldn't be saying. Aaron Boone made that point. Members of the ESPN broadcast made that point. Probably something you don't want to do when it's somebody that you're not particularly tied with. You know, if you're on good terms with them, you feel comfortable enough doing that, great. In this case, hey, they're not on good terms. The White Sox going into Saturday were not playing particularly good baseball. So it probably was not wise for Josh Donaldson to go and try to poke the bear. And he's done this before. Listen, he's done this before. Whether it's Garrett Cole, whether it's incidents in Toronto, Donaldson could be a hard ass. That's one of the many reasons I'm glad the Yankees have brought him to the team. He's got a little bit of a dick in him. There's no other way around it. Now, I'm a white dude. For me to start proclaiming that I am an expert on race is insulting to a lot of folks out there. I'm not going to do it. Did I particularly think that Donaldson was going after a race issue with Tim Anderson? Not particularly. Can I understand, though, how Tim Anderson or another black player might feel differently? Yeah, I can. I can. The bottom line is this. These guys should work this out. They should work this out. Major League Baseball, these are two big stars. Let's work this out. Now, as far as the suspension, and I tweeted this out the other day. You want to tell me Tim Anderson has a right to be pissed off? You want to tell me the White Sox have a right to be pissed off? Suspension, no, I don't see. And I tweeted this out. And, of course, listen, when you you go down that rabbit hole of tweeting something like this out, I said this was the dumbest thing I did today all day because now I'm getting tens of million Twitter messages. Everybody hates your guts. People arguing with one another. It was horrible. So I'm like, all right, enough of this conversation. I'm done. I'm out. I'm over this. I'm muting this conversation. I just don't see how that is a suspension-worthy offense unless there is more information that comes out in the days and the weeks and the months ahead that are going to tell you otherwise. Look, Aaron Boone, I thought, handled it pretty well before Sunday's game. I think it's something the Yankees want to move past, and clearly it was something the Chicago White Sox wanted to feed off of because they played some great baseball on Sunday and Tim Anderson ends up hitting a back-breaking home run, silencing the Yankee Stadium booze, and I'm sure he took great satisfaction in that. So it's one of those stories, listen, point blank, don't like talking about very much. And I hope that it's not coming from terrible undertones. I want to believe that it's not. Let's hope that indeed ends up being the case. Now, as far as what we saw on the field this weekend, this is a rough weekend for the New York Yankees. And it was a rough weekend on a couple of different fronts. Number one, the Yankee bullpen, which looked better than ever about two weeks ago. Now he's dealing with some hardship. First, you lose Chad Green. Before you saw roasting Chad Green, the big home runs he gave up, the last five years, he's one of the better statistical relief pitchers in all baseball. You lose that guy for the year with Tommy John surgery. Sucks for him right before his free agent campaign. Then you get to Mr. Chapman. And Aroldis Chapman has been a guy that throughout his Yankee tenure, there is usually a month, it's usually a couple of weeks, where he just thinks, doesn't know where the ball's going, gives up big home runs, not on his game, not on his mark. Well, that was Chapman today. That was Chapman today. Chapman over his last five outings has stunk. Conversation is going to be all over the place. Well, is he your closer? After all, Clay Holmes closed the game on Saturday, and I think you could argue he's got the best stuff, and he's the 
best Yankee reliever right here and right now on, what is it, May the 23rd. This is why I'm not advocating for that. You need Chapman. You want to tell me you don't need Chapman closing games, that you're going to have different guys you turn to in the ninth inning in playoff spots? I see that. I know the amount of starting pitchers that have saved games in October. Chris Sale doing it. Max Scherzer doing it last year. Like, there's there's a blueprint. Plenty of teams have kind of gone the unorthodox route. But at the same time, what is Chapman's role if you take him out of the ninth inning? Here's my advice to the Yankees. Continue to have somebody waiting in the wings on days where he does not have it. When it's a righty type of lineup, like Chicago, for example, with Anderson and with Luis Robert, you have a righty ready to go and ready to rock. And then you can use Holmes that way. I don't have a problem. I really don't. We're kind of splitting that role and easing that role. But to just basically say, well, this time you're not closing the ninth inning anymore. No, I don't think the Yankees should handle it that way. You want to tell me it's a little bit more by matchup? You want to tell me it's a little bit more by committee? That is what the Yankees should look to do. Because no green. Wiseguy has not been great. You need Chapman to get some outs. And I think the best way to have Chapman's head screwed on in in the right way is closing games for the most part. So I know a lot of calls are going to come in. Oh, Yankees, get Chapman out of the ninth inning. It's not as simple as that. It's not as simple as that. Big spots, October games, you don't trust them? That's a different argument. That's a different conversation. Right here, right now, they need him to get outs. And over the course of the regular season, that's how I expect the Yankees to handle it. So bad weekend for Chapman and then a bad weekend for the Yankee bats. I mean, outside of Aaron Judge, up and down the lineup, they did nothing. I mean, they're basically getting perfect game by Michael Kopich for six innings. They get shut down by Johnny Cueto. And look, the Yankees are off to a fabulous start. There's a lot to feel good about. But here's what I know about this lineup. Outside the top five, it has a top hit and feel and look to it. I mean, you're getting nothing out of the catcher's position. IKF has been pedestrian at best. Now they're running either Marlon Gonzalez or Joey Gallo out there. Gallo, when he gets back off the cover list, automatic outs. Hicks finally has a game where he gets two hits, but he's a bonehead and gets picked off the second base. I mean, does that sum up Aaron Hicks in a nutshell or what? A lot of dead weight there at the bottom of the order. Yankees, when they don't have those top guys hitting, you feel it and you feel it a lot more. Credit the White Sox. They lose on Saturday. They were ready to go for this doubleheader. They fed off the pitching. They had some timely hits. They're going to be heard from in the American League. I don't think we've seen the last of the Yankees and the White Sox in competitive baseball environments. Don't be surprised you see this series maybe down the road in the month of October. And look, hats off to Severino, who was fantastic. Seven shutout innings. Worked out of some great jams, including bases loaded, nobody out. Got to score some runs. I mean, the Yankees did absolutely nothing on offense. So... Lousy weekend for them. Their first series lost in a long, long time. Now get right against the Orioles. For the Mets, business as usual. And I know the Met fan may be upset that they are not in the hierarchy of how we kind of laid out this show. And I think you should look at that as a compliment because it continues to show you that this team, with their grit, with their resolve, with the way they just find ways to win, 
quietly, slowly, but surely just taking names and kicking ass. This is a good series win. You got to split a doubleheader. You had Taiwan Walker who goes out there and is terrific pitching in a tough place to pitch at Coors Field. Nimmo with the heads up base running, getting to third base. Lindor, who we've called that on this podcast, getting some multi-hit games, getting involved in the action, getting that performance to where it needs to be. Good overall play across the board. Clean, crisp, quality baseball. That is what you're getting out of the Mets. Adovino and Rodriguez work out of trouble in the eighth inning. And then I got to give credit to Diaz. I do. We watch a world as Chapman right now, have no idea what he's doing in the ninth inning. There was no carryover effect from Thursday, which, by the way, wasn't Diaz's fault. Escobar fields a ground ball. The Mets are getting themselves out of that inning, and that's all there is to it. But Diaz has been fantastic this year. I don't know if that's Buck. I don't know if that's his mindset. I don't know if that's his psyche, but he has been fantastic. He's been absolutely positively fantastic. So the Mets feeling good. The Mets are exactly where they need to be. You look basically two months in, they're in first place. They got a comfortable lead in this division and they continue to win series. You know, it's weird actually doing a podcast this weekend when we're not talking about the Yankees and the Mets both going and winning series. We'll have some late night action for the Mets though. Giants in San Francisco, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. I always love when we have at least one team on the West Coast. Two, it's a little too much. But now I can kind of diversify and spread out my baseball palette. So I'll have that going. We got a loaded show coming up every which way. We'll have Pete Jensen a little bit later on in the hockey. We haven't done voicemails in forever. Forever. Because we've been doing the Spotify Live. So I've been talking to you guys live. I promise you voicemails. I give you voicemails. They're coming up next. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. All right. So before we do voicemails, my main man, Stefan, who was with me at Yankee Stadium two weeks ago when we probably experienced the best Yankee win of the year. Now we're dealing with Stefan. Isn't it weird, bro? We're coming off a weekend where the Yankees lose two out of three. Like, I don't, I don't even know how to handle, bro. I don't know, I don't know how to deal. It, it, yeah, it feels so weird. Like, they score, what, seven on Saturday and score one in two games today? Like, it, it, the, the, the disparity of runs are scary. But we know that this team is such a team that, like, we just watched the Mavs playing basketball and how they live by the three and they die by the three. The Yankees kind of live by the homer and die by the homer at the same rate. So... Yeah, these are going to come with. These are the lows that are going to come with the season. And, um, you know, let me ask you this. Bigger concern right now for you. Is it a roll to Chapman in the ninth inning? Is it the bottom of the Yankee order? What is keeping Stefan Anderson up at night more? I am more worried about a roll Chapman. Uh, the reason why is because what you've seen today. Like, two pitches in, he gives up a homer. Two pitches in, and then the rest of he what he gets to like seven or eight pitches, and it just looks like he can't find a plate. Those are the things that keep me up at night. It's just hard for well, me as a Yankee I think fan. What it boils down to, Stefan, is that you're seeing yourself in a future setting, four yeah. or five months from now. We're mm-hmm. watching a big Yankee playoff game, 
And the sight of Aroldis Chapman with like the one run lead, the ninth inning against the Houston Astros is like a horrifying thought to you. And I and can understand can't. that, bro. And I he can can't find that. a plate. He's trying to throw sliders. He's trying to do everything but throw his fastball. And it can't touch the plate. A lot of pass balls. Guys are getting to third by accident. He's walking, guys. It just, it, I know the nightmare. I've seen it over and over. And I'm, I'm terrified of it, Jay. I can't lie. And look, I'm not saying that he's going to make you feel better. And I'm not saying it's going to be comforting. But look, they need him. This bullpen now without Green and with Loisaga pitching like crap, they need Chapman to figure it out for now. You want to tell me Holmes is better? You want to tell me King is better? Fine. They can't now let Chapman go into, like, the witness protection program. That is not going to happen for the Yankees. He's too important to their team. And I think this week, we'll see. Let's see how he does against the Orioles. I think that's a, a chance for him to get his confidence back against a team like that. And then let's see what happens when we play the race. If he goes into that race series and he gets two saves, I feel a little bit better going into next weekend. I feel a lot better. Okay. Be Before we get to voicemails, the Anderson thing. As you're watching that unfold, what was your initial reaction? So watching it live, I'm like, these two just need to fight and get it over with. Him and him and yeah, Donaldson need to just thing, fight to be honest and with you, get it over with. Because they almost fought last week. You know exactly. what I'm saying? They almost fought last week. So I'm like, all right, they're going to fight. Let's go. Let's get it over with. Yeah, I agree. I, agree. I think they should just, I said, I tweeted it out. Like, they should just go in the dugout for five minutes, settle the differences, and get back to playing. Because this is like, how many times are we going to do this? in a span of two weeks. But now that I hear exactly what's going on, I get Tim Anderson a little bit more. It's like, bro, we're not friends. Don't joke with me like that. Even if you felt like that was your icebreaker or your way to kind of like do it, it's who's doing it and how's it, how it's being done. It's Josh Donaldson, as we as you mentioned earlier, who could be a dick, could be an asshole. And he's out here making Jackie jokes with me. And it's like, bro, it's not. It's just not going to register. It's not registering in his mind. Maybe he was trying to be playful. Sure, whatever the case may be. It's just not. You got to read the room, as they say. This is I that, totally that, get that, that, it, that is that is a place where you shouldn't insert yourself. Maybe you say, you know what? Yo, all is good from last week. My fault about the tag. I didn't mean to go so hard on you. Like let's let bygones be bygones at this point. If that's what you were going to do, let's let me talk to you like a man. He's like, now nah, let me see how much I can like pick at the scab a little bit to see how much I can get out of it. That's what I'm getting from And so. I do believe, Stefan, that this is something that Josh Donaldson has said to Tim Anderson in the past because of the interview that he gave, what was it, a couple of years ago in The Athletic, yeah. wanting yeah. to be like the new generation of Jackie Robinson, young, fun, exciting, the whole deal. I could see Donaldson running with that. But after you have a little snafu last week, you nailed the idea of reading the room Donaldson's got to read the room there. He's got to know better. Now, I don't look at it necessarily as a suspendable offense, but I do think it's the sort of thing that Aaron Boone probably said after Saturday, Josh, cut the shit. Enough is enough. And let's leave it at that. And exactly. And this is this is my biggest fear of it, right? This could go two different ways. It's like him trying to rile up the team. Look at what happened on Sunday night. Donaldson makes, I mean, Anderson makes everybody eat shit, hits the three-run bob, walks around, tells everybody in Yankee Stadium, shut the fuck up, like, don't say anything. It can go the opposite way. And I feel like you gave them a team that is struggling like this, this can turn around their season. Well, now I noticed that with the White Sox. They were into these games today. That's an exactly. excellent, excellent point. Exactly. They were into these games today. I know Anderson didn't play in the first game, 
But Liam Hendricks with the strikeout in the ninth exactly. inning. Look at how proud he was. He was. He was. And if you heard, I don't know if you've seen his. They went in the locker room before. Oh, he don't he like was, Donaldson. Oh, he, he, hates don't, Donaldson. he don't like he Donaldson. Was, he doesn't Listen, like. He him. stuck up for his guy. And he does not like Josh Donaldson. Yeah, Stephon. I was like, wait, you you're yelling like this over a two one three one win? Like, uh, you you would have thought they won the World Series in Game One of the doubleheader today. The way he yelled after that strikeout, but it's like, yo, you can wake up a sleeping giant like that. So, yeah, we're gonna need you to be that kind of guy, but you got to pick and choose your spots. I don't think that was his place. I think that he should be. I don't know about a suspension, but I think there has to be a conversation. Like, hey. You got to understand what you did there and how offensive that could really be to somebody who is not your friend, right? This is not somebody you get along with. So take a little precaution with it. And you know you're not like. You're not a likable guy. Like, it's Josh Donaldson we're talking about here. It's not like we're talking about, like, Aaron Judge or Stanton or one of these guys that people, you know, Tim Anderson, somebody everybody in the league kind of gets along with. Nobody likes this guy across the league. So I don't know. I just don't think that's your place, in my opinion. Well said, Stefan. And I'll tell you this, buddy. Sign me up right now for the Yankees and the White Sox playing in a best of five or a best of seven series, man. Oh man, we we would have to we, we would have to travel for that. We'd have to call Jason when we get to we'd have to call our guys in Chicago and just have a lot of fun when we get out there and travel back and forth from New York to Chicago. I'm all for it. And we gotta make sure we keep Tim Anderson and Josh Donaldson separated. That's something I think we gotta work on though. Absolutely. They might be fighting each other in the parking lot as we speak, but hey, that's another thing for another day. All right, Stefan. Let's hit some voicemails. 917-382-1151 is where we make some magic. Let's hear them. Hey, JJ. Eric down in Florida. Just want to just finish watching, watching uh, game three of the Rangers game series. And uh, thank God got some scoring from the big guys in that front, front main line. The kid line continues to play, and Igor is just, you know, a godsend. That was a must-win game. Makes game four a lot more interesting. and. Uh, Takes away the sting of uh, Aroldis Chapman continuing his slide, blowing another game for us. But watching uh, Kreider and Zabinajad both hit, heart dropped a little when Kreider uh, missed on the empty net. Then I figured that was going to come back and bite, but Mott on the uh, big empty net to put the game away. So great win. Looking forward to game four back at the Garden. Keep up the great work. See you. Good call. The star players for the Rangers did show up in this game. Shesterkin. Exemplary working goal. Zibanejad scoring the first. Kreider coming alive. And you're right. Your heart's stopping when you miss that empty net. When you got a chance to go for the kill right then and there, you're missing a wide open empty net. It's like giving a team life. Thankfully, Rangers didn't wait long. Ten seconds later, they put in another empty net and made sure this series is going to be 2-1 heading into game four. And there was no miracle comeback for the second time at three games during this series. Game three was more open. It required more work out of Igor Shesterkin and the goaltender who struggled mightily against the Pittsburgh Penguins. He was up for the challenge. Okay, who's next? Hey, John. It's Jake from Charlotte. Um, big uh, series win for the Mets this weekend against the Rockies, um, especially on uh, Sunday. Um, Luis Guillerme, um was definitely the player of the game. Um, you know, he's a great, he's a great, uh, great fielder. Um, his bat's starting to come around consistently. And I think the Mets really need to start him at third base. Um, I just think that Eduardo Escobar is um, just he's not getting it done. When you look at the stats, he's just not doing it. Um, J.D. Davis, you know, he doesn't deserve to be an everyday player, you know, let alone to be a 
you know, a DH, that's another, that's another story. Um, but I really think Luis, uh, Luis Guillerme really needs to be their third baseman. Um, he just brings consistent, consistency to the gloves. Um, you know, his bat's starting to come around. Um, so that's another, uh, that's a bonus, um, added on to his fielding. So, um, yeah, I really think the Mets need to make him a full-time player. And I think if they do that, a lot of good things will come for the rest of the season. Marvin, thanks. You bring up a very fair point with Luis Guillerme. He plays phenomenal defense. You put him at short, you put him at third. He's a top-notch glove. And this year, he's had a lot of life with the bat. I don't know if I'm willing to say yet, Jake, that Guillerme is worthy of being an everyday player, but I will assert this opinion. He deserves more playing time. And I think it's become pretty clear he's become a favorite of Buck Showalters because the style that he's bringing to the table is right up Buck's alley. And you're going to pick it like that, and then you're going to hit and get a couple of multi-hit games and spray the ball all over the place. They'll find a way to get your rear end in the lineup. Mark my words. So, so far, so good from Luis Guillerme. Okay, who's next? JJ, Justin in Miami, disappointing sweep uh, by the White Sox. You're a Yankee fan. I think what you want to take from this is Severino and Tyon continue to look great. Um, you know, you'd rather have that than them fall apart. Uh, the problems on this team, I think, are correctable, but they're hard decisions that are going to have to be made. Chapman just is not what he used to be. Whether you ever liked him, I particularly didn't. You know, he, he's a step worse than he used to be. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious, you know, forget about being the closer. I don't think you can rely on this guy to get key out. And with respect to, you know, holes going forward, what you saw today is there's too much pressure on the Judge-Stanton duo and the top half of that order. They've got to get some help in the outfield. And the good news is they should be able to. You know, I know some people say, well, catcher, but through the Yankees, I'm not messing with catcher because if you look at the improvement in the pitching staff, that's way more important than getting a catcher who can an additional five or ten home runs. Outfield, on the other hand, that's the position you got to get more from. I know Ben Attendee's name we've heard. I'm fine with that, but you, you got to get more than what Hicks and what Gallo have given you. Uh, you just can't rely on Judge and Stanton with 50 or 60 homers each and, and think you're going to get through October like that. And then lastly, uh, you know, on the schedule, people say they play an easy schedule. They're just out for lunch. The two best teams, according to everyone in the American League back in the preseason, were the White Sox and the Blue Jays. And the Yankees have played them 16 of 40 times. So 40% of their games are against the two teams that were considered the favorites in the American League. You know who has the easiest schedule, according to baseball right now? Through the first 40 games, the Red Sox. So, yeah, the Yankees have a lot of games against the Orioles. But they also play half the games against the Blue Jays and they're done with the White Sox. And so all this talk about Tampa, I don't think Tampa's good at either of these teams. Yeah, the Yankees still have to prove they can beat them. But these are not the double rays of, of 2020 and 2021. They don't have the pitching they used to have. And I don't, I don't, I'm not really too worried about them. Look, I think this is a really good team. They've got some polls. We saw that this weekend. It's not the 98 Yankees, but I don't think it's the 2021 Yankees either. And so I'm, I'm still pretty confident about this team. Talk to you later. Excellent phone call. You nailed the weakness within this offense. It's not the catcher spot. Look, the catcher spot you're getting nothing out of, but you're getting such good defensive work. I'm not messing with that. Look at how Jamison Tyon is throwing the ball. Look at what you're getting out of Cortez. Look at what you're getting out of Severino. Look at what you're getting out of these bullpen arms. The Trevino-Higgy duo is not hitting a lick, but they're doing such a great job with the staff. Don't mess with that. Not right now. Getting an outfielder or two, though, has got to be a top priority. 
whether that's Ben Tendi, whether that's Tommy Pham, whether the, you give me the outfielder that's available in July, I'm interested. Because I think the Yankees might need two. They're definitely going to need one, and they might need two. I agree with your overall premise. This is not the 2021 Yankees. I don't see it. As long as they're going to have Judge and Stanton with Rizzo, LeMayu, Donaldson, and Torres in that lineup. They're a better team. They're a more complete team. They're playing better fundamental baseball. But they're not the 98 Yankees. I don't think anybody would look at this team and tell you they're the 98 Yankees. Tampa, they got to show me they can beat Tampa. You're right about the pitching. It's not as good as it's been in years past. But I've seen this with the Rays plenty of freaking times. They kind of roll their way through April. They get going in May. And boom, they take off. And they're playing great ball from June on. And the Yankees, in that building especially, have played terribly. They need to show me they can beat the Tampa Bay Rays. And sure enough, that's a series we'll have Memorial Day weekend. Yankees, Rays for fourth drop. Buckle up. Okay, who's next? JJ, what's going on, bro? Andrew in Staten Island. Always great to chat with you. Listen, I want to talk to Mets. And uh, since Scherzer went down, you know, I know that Twitter is not the best measuring stick because it's a cesspool. You know, you got to have the fan base saying that they're still going to win 105 games without him because this team is just that good. You got the other half of the fan base saying, pack it in, season's over. There's no way they can compete anymore. You know, I'm somewhere in the middle. I think they've built up enough of a cushion here where they can still compete and keep their heads above water, even with this tough schedule. Uh, I think people are a little nervous because the season got derailed when the ground went down. But this is a different team. I mean, they're, they're playing good baseball, got a culture going, they play the game the right way in a manufacturing run. So I think they'll be okay. But I definitely think they need to make a move to fortify that rotation. Um, because again, with Scherzer out six to eight weeks, he's, he's 38. I mean, you like to be hopeful, but there's no guarantee that he comes back off the oblique injury and just starts shoving right away. We know DeGrom is no sure thing. And I think McGill is a little bit of a wild card, too, just because tendonitis is something that can linger, number one. Number two, he's never thrown over, like, 110 innings in his career. So they're going to be careful with him moving forward. So they need to make a move just for a little bit of security. Um, so my question to you is, where do you think they look? I know Frankie Montes from Oakland is a name that gets thrown around. But one quick thing I'll say on him, is I've never kind of thought of him as that type of pitcher. Um, to me, if you look at what Oakland did in the offseason, I mean, they went into complete fire sale mode. They traded everybody, Chapman, Olsen, Manaya, Baxter. Montes is the only one that's still there. To me, it's no coincidence that he didn't go anywhere. Because that signals to me that Oakland's asking price did not match up with how other teams view him around the league. So I wouldn't be making a sexy move just for the sake of making a sexy move and pleasing the fan base. I don't know if the value's there at Montes, but I think they need to make a move elsewhere. So where do you think they go? Appreciate it, bro. Keep up the good work. I'll see you soon. Good call, Andrew. I think from a Met pitching perspective, if you're talking big name, Montez is the guy in the American League. Castillo is probably the guy in the National League. I don't know if the Mets are going to be willing to part with their two two top prospects in order to make a trade like that happen. That means Alvarez and Beatty. I don't know if they're willing to do that. The team that I'm looking at that's going to be the most fascinating to me as far as what they do with the deadline. And two weeks ago, they looked dead in the water. The last two weeks, they have come to life and they are playing much better ball. But that would be the Podfathers Boston Red Sox. And two names to watch. 
if the Red Sox fall out of contention, Nathan Avaldi, who's a free agent at the end of the year, and J.D. Martinez. Because I think the Mets need another power bat. I think Dom Smith for J.D. Martinez. Avaldi going to have to give up more. Proven postseason commodity. Going to be one of the top pitchers probably available at the deadline if the Red Sox are selling. And right now they're not selling. They win another five games. They're saying, the hell with that. We're trying to win this year. But Evaldi's going to cost you. Martinez, last year contract, making a ton of money. The Red Sox need a first baseman. And Dom Smith is not happy with his role. Let's be honest. He doesn't like that he's not playing first base. He soured on the idea of being a Met. He almost was traded two months ago. That is a guy, if you put him in Fenway Park and his opposite field swing, he'd hit 50 doubles there. He would be a tremendous Boston Red Sox. And for the Mets, J.D. Martinez would help their lineup a lot. Remember that trade. Remember I brought that up. J.D. Martinez for Dominic Smith. The Red Sox fall out of contention. That is a trade that should happen. But as far as the pitching market, where the Mets might need some help, the big names, Avaldi. Maybe Bieber if the Guardians are out of it. Montaz, Castillo. But then you look at that next tier of guys. The back-end innings eater is what the Mets will be looking for. Because, look, they get Scherzer and DeGrom back. Scherzer and DeGrom, Bassett, Carrasco, away you go. And if you can add to that, great. But it's not a must. You need arms to get you to that point when the cavalry returns. All right, last but not least. Hey, JJ, Charlie from Elmhurst calling. So when this thing... 18 innings of, uh, of Yankees getting swept by the White Sox in a doubleheader. Hey, not what you want. And yeah, this was a rough day in terms of like, in terms of how they seem lost in two games. And that is not the problem. And I mean, the offensively, I mean, it's fine. They ran into two pitchers that really dealt deal in this game, in these two games and starting pitching. I am not concerned. The concern is should be, or well, like alarming part is the bullpen. I mean, Chad Green, yeah, whatever you say, bull so many games last year, but he still got commodity going to Tommy John surgery. And I mean, a world of Chapman. I mean, I heard in that first game that was, I mean, there was a reason why, like, fans have started to like, Concerned and like really unsettled with this performance. I mean, if you can't throw fastball right over the plate, I mean, you got some serious problems when White's not in the aisle. And big concern in another one is that Jonathan Gwaisika, I mean, what's happened to him like last year and to this year? Like, he's getting hit around. Like, he's not getting a tilt on his two seam fastball. Like, yeah, I mean, he needs to pick it up because right now, who else is, who is confident in this Yankee bullpen? Uh, Michael King and uh, Clay Holmes, the MIS factor. I mean, I think the bullpen needs to get being watched, really. And they better, they better get this thing straight because otherwise the bullpen is getting thinner in terms of like who is like, Gonna get the job done because right now, in that bullpen, besides Holmes and King, who's gonna get the job done? All right, man. It's amazing, Charlie. 
that we were talking about a Yankee bullpen that seemed invincible two weeks ago as a bullpen right now that has got some questions. Chapman being able to handle a ninth inning. Chapman being reliable. Loisega getting back to last year's form. Now you're counting on a guy like Castro a heck of a lot more. You're counting on King a heck of a lot more. No green. Bad Loisega. Bad Chapman. It's amazing. You're ranking Yankee relievers you trust here on, what is it, May the 23rd? Holmes is one. King is two. But the Yankees need Chapman to be a part of that solution. And that's why they're going to give him every last opportunity to close games. I'm telling you right now. Maybe it's not every single time he's out there. But he is still going to get a bulk of that work. They are not going to take a role as Chapman and turn him into a middle reliever. Yankees can't afford that. They simply can't afford that. This is a rough weekend for them. They did not get the bats going. Bullpen yucked it up in both of these games. Chapman in game one. Wazga and Castro in game two. And you're going to lose the series. But somebody mentioned the schedule. They've had a lot of Baltimore Oriole games. That's fair. But you had the White Sox a ton. You've had the Blue Jays a ton. The two teams that I want to see the Yankees take down, and I've said this countless times on this podcast, Houston and Tampa. You'll see Tampa four games Thursday through Sunday. That, I think, will give you an even more clear picture to where the Yankees stand currently in this division. And is it going to be cruise control all year? Or are they going to be sweating out the AL East? All right, Pete Jensen, who does fabulous work for the NHL Network, will run through Game 3 of the Rangers Hurricane Series. We'll set the stage for Game 4. But we do have some special treats coming up after Pete Jensen. What would that be? We'll have to wait and see. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. The Rangers got themselves a much-needed Game three win over the Carolina Hurricanes. It's now two to one. The stage is set for a very, very intriguing game four at Madison Square Garden. There's some bad blood. You got Coach Gallant going after it at the end of the game. So I said, let's welcome in a guy who we have not had on New York, New York. Big time hockey aficionado. You see him all over the place at the NHL Network. The Penn State Nittany Lion himself, Pete Jensen. Buddy, welcome. How are you, dude? What's going on, JJ? Always great to catch up with you this time of year. And yeah, past couple of years, it's been the Isles making deep runs to the conference finals, but, you know, not so fast, right? They didn't get it done. Now it's the Rangers serving the locals well. And of course, yeah, much needed win, like you said. Uh, Big response, right? Carolina this postseason has won all its home games, but they haven't won a road game. So the Rangers held serve here. Okay, let's start here pace of this game, pace in this series. The first two games 
it felt like the pace, even though the Rangers outplayed the Hurricanes for the first two periods in game one, it was a Carolina style of game. Game two was clearly a Carolina style of game. Did you get the sense, Pete, that this game this afternoon was finally the first time we saw the Rangers playing their style? Oh, it was for sure. And I talked to Tony D'Angelo after the game, the former Ranger that was getting into it right at the end with Gerard Gallant. Uh, everybody was getting fired up. And and Tony D said it himself. He said, we don't want to play this style of hockey. But he knows the Rangers do because they're the ones that have the firepower, right, with Zabanajad, Adam Fox, Artemi Panarin. When the Hurricanes play their style of hockey, it knocks those guys on their back end and they don't have any adjustments for it. So the Rangers, when they're at home, they have that benefit where they get last change. Uh, they get some more matchups that they wanted. They got some more odd man rushes and, um, you know, capitalize on their power play opportunity, which the Canes didn't. The Canes, like I said, they've been dominant at home. But for whatever reason, uh, the script flips when they're on the road and the Bruins did wonders on the power play against them. And Zabanaja had scored today, one for two. And that's all she wrote, right? I mean, the Rangers are back in this series. Okay, star power. The Rangers star power showed up when they were down three games to one against Pittsburgh. So Benajad had the monster game six. Panarin scores in game seven. Crowder goes and scores in game seven. Well, game three today, Zabenejad, who hadn't done much in the first two games, scores a goal. Crowder gets you a snipe, scores your goal. Sometimes hockey's pretty simplistic, right, Pete? Like you need your star players this time of the year coming through and coming through in a big way. And the stars in game three for the Rangers were basically all over the ice. Right. And the Rangers' biggest star also came to play because I mentioned how they were playing the Rangers' style, but that doesn't mean that the Hurricanes didn't do some things that they wanted to do too, like dominate the shots on goal differential like they always seem to do. They're always one of the best puck possession teams uh, even before Rod Brindamore took over, but he's been getting the most out of this team with four straight playoff berths. But anyway, 44 to 33, the shots were in favor of the Hurricanes, but the, Ranger, the Rangers' biggest star is Igor Shesterkin, 43 saves. And he's starting to look like, in this series, uh, the elite goaltender that he was all regular season long. And it doesn't matter if the Rangers get outchanced and things like that, right? He always has their back. But the Pittsburgh series was a little blip on the radar. I mean, they were solving him in different ways. And uh, Pittsburgh did a, an amazing job staying in that series whether it was the Crosby injury or the Tristan Jari injury or anything that went wrong for them. They were a resilient group. They cracked the code of Shesterkin, but it seems like right now uh, the, the Hurricanes are having a tough time doing that. I'm glad that you mentioned Igor because it's his first go-around in the postseason. He gets pulled in game three. He gets pulled in game four. Were you concerned Spooked. I was spooked watching Igor Shesterkin play those two games in Pittsburgh. I'm like, is he where he needs to be mentally for the rest of this series? Were you always expecting, Pete, that he would bounce back in this postseason? Or did you have some serious, serious doubts? Because, listen, I don't care how good you may be. When you have games like that, where you're pulled back-to-back times, tough to win a series, tough to respond. He's done exactly that. 
I mean, that's what the great ones do, right? That's what um, Andre Vasilevsky does time and time again for the Tampa Bay Lightning. He had a rough series against the Toronto Maple Leafs. He was giving up three-plus goals every game, but he made sure he didn't give up that extra goal that led to consecutive losses, right? And Vasilevsky hasn't lost consecutive games in the postseason the past three years all put together, uh, which is a testament to him. So now this uh, younger Russian goaltender, Shesterkin, has done a nice job bouncing back as well. And you could say everything you want about how the Rangers got a break when Crosby went down. I still believe if Crosby didn't get injured in game five against Pittsburgh, they don't win that game and they don't come back from 3-1 down. But again, opportunity knocks. Did the Rangers seize that opportunity? Yes, they did. And did Shesterkin do his part? Yes, he certainly did, especially winning game six on the road in Pittsburgh, which is a tough task even with a depleted Penguins team. so And then he beat he beat them fair and square, right, in Game 7 when Crosby came back and Jari came back and Raquel came back. So, yeah, I've been impressed by Shesterkin because, um, you know, this is a guy that has been around for a few years now, amazing regular season stats. But, you know, when you get to the postseason, it's a different animal. I like his adjustments in his game over the course of the first two rounds. This series... If there's something that I'd be really worried about if I'm Carolina, their power play production has been abominable. <laughs> I mean, you look at their power play, Pete. They're like nine for 90. It's something to the extreme of that. It's so absurd. Why? Why has Carolina, who's been a very put-together team, they're a well-run team, they've had great success, why can't they capitalize on the power play? Why are they so weak in that department? It's strange. I mean, I would say that like the Rangers have a lot more star power offensively than Carolina does. That's still, I, I'm surprised to see um, this level of weakness in the special teams for Carolina, especially on the road, even their penalty kill. Carolina's penalty kill in the regular season was number one in the NHL, and they're operating at like 68% um, in, the, in the postseason on the road. So that's a big weakness. They're not leaving themselves much room for error whenever a series goes back to Raleigh, right? Because they're losing all their road games. So I think that's good news for the Rangers standpoint, right? That, you know, if they hold serve and they steal one in Raleigh, which they already almost did twice, especially game one, we could look at as a missed opportunity. Um, yeah, I think beyond Sebastian Ajo, the Hurricanes need one of their other secondary guys to really step up on the power play and start delivering. That includes the former Ranger, um, Tony D'Angelo, Tavo Teravainen. Andrei Svechnikov is the one guy. I liked what I saw from him today. A lot of grade A scoring chances from him. It was the best game of the playoffs for Svechnikov. That's one guy. If he gets going for Carolina, especially on the first power play, that could mean trouble for the Rangers. Okay, Pete. The Rangers are going to win this series. Draw up the blueprint for the New York, New York audience. If they are down, they're down two to one right now. If they're going to come back and win this thing and get to the conference final, what needs to happen? They got to keep these games close. There, there can't be much separation. It doesn't matter if you get outshot. Um, the Carolina guys after the game, when I was talking to them, they were all, you know, kind of hanging their heads like about just not being able to execute. You know, they can't uh, get bogged down by any of the stat sheet. You know, of course, the Rangers all season long, their possession metrics uh, didn't line up with Carolinas or not even close to it. Carolina's a dominant possession team. The Rangers are not. When the Rangers get on the power play, they have to convert. Carolina's struggling in that regard. 
And I think as well as Antti Ranta has played, and he's another former Ranger, there are about six of them playing for Carolina in this series. He's been amazing in the playoffs, but he's not their number one goalie. Freddie Anderson is, and he, he's been injured all playoffs. So if they can get in Ranta's head a little bit, the Rangers have an advantage in the crease. And to me, if you have like a power play that's converting at, you know, 35 to 40% from this point until the end of the reg- until the end of the series, and then you also have Shesterkin playing at the top of his game, you can offset any possession dominance, right? We've saw we've seen it in recent years, like from Vegas the past couple of years. They couldn't break through and win the cup. They were out shooting teams. They were they were having 40 plus shots on goal and losing games. The playoffs are a little wonky sometimes. And sometimes the, the underdog, sometimes the team that gets outshot heavily ends up squeaking by in a series. So yeah, to me, it's like special teams. Of course, the Canes are going to dominate at five on five, but special teams and Shesterkin, that's your blueprint to win this series. Fair enough. This little brouhaha with Gallant and D'Angelo at the end of this game. Gallant was rather colorful after the game, which you love. He's got a little personality to him. He's uh, basically calling it like he sees it. I think the Ranger fan absolutely appreciates that, Pete. Do you anticipate there will be any sort of carryover potentially going into game four? I mean, you like to see these guys keep it clean out there, but I'm I'm looking forward to the drama because, like we said, uh, this is a uh, a series that a couple years ago in the bubble, right, the the Hurricanes embarrassed the Rangers. They knocked them out of their comfort zone. Um, you know that the Canes are as good possession-wise as any team in the league. They're probably going to grind out this series. You know, again, I had Hurricanes in five. I liked what I saw from the Rangers today. Looking maybe more like a Hurricanes in six prediction for me. But I do think that that's the way, like, you open up this game a little bit. You know, each individual game offensively that favors the Rangers. The Canes don't want to play that way. The Canes want to play, you know, two to one, one nothing type games and and frustrate the Rangers. I think that like that added emotion, um, especially when you have the home crowd on your side, you know, going up against players like D'Angelo and and Auntie Ranta and Brady Shea and all these other guys, Jesper Fast, like that adds another layer of excitement and intrigue for the rest of this series. So, yeah, I, and sometimes in the NHL, like, you want to see a little more drama, right? Like, the Game 7 Toronto-Tampa had a lot of drama. I think this series could have a lot of drama the longer it goes. You want to explain this to me? You work for the NHL Network, I don't. How did the Islanders fire Barry Trotz? Like, I know Luma Lamarillo, like, fires coaches left and right. That was his demo with the Devils for years. I remember that. The guy takes you to back-to-back conference finals. The Islanders haven't won in 20-something years, and they're booting that coach out the door? I mean, what, what am I missing here, Pete? I'm with you, man. I was shocked when I saw that. I, I will say that I feel a whole lot better from an Islanders standpoint about them uh, retaining their number two guy, Lane Lambert. He was like the protege you know, to Barry Trotz uh, for many years, even dating back to when Trotz won the Cup with the Capitals that one year. So, and he came over to the Island with him. And at first when I saw it, I was like, you know, maybe what happened behind the scenes, this doesn't seem like something that would meet the eye. But I think the fact that um, maybe like, because Trotz was entering the final year of his contract, maybe either he didn't want to commit or the Islanders didn't want to commit, maybe something like that. But to me, I think it was really important that this situation didn't get ugly 
because they're able to um, keep a assistant coach that's now going to be a head coach uh, that has untapped potential. He'll have the fundamentals of the trot system, but maybe could open up some of the offense a little bit more for guys like, you know, Matthew Barzell, their top offensive player. His numbers were stunted a little bit under Barry Trotz. Oliver Wallstrom, Anthony Beauvillier, like those are guys that I want to see more of offensively. And I think maybe this guy, Lane, Lane Lambert, will be able to, you know, unlock those guys a little bit better than Trotz did. Trotz is not, you know, a younger player's coach. He's like, more established core and making the most out of a playoff run type of coach and playing defensive style. So that's something I'm looking forward to in watching the Islanders under Lane Lambert. I don't think they would have gotten a better coach on the outside than Lambert, who they got from within. So we're sticking with Hurricanes, but you're adding an extra game. That's what you're telling me right now. (laughs) You had Hurricanes in five. I thought they were going to win the series in six. And let's be honest, Pete, it's house money for the Rangers, right? I know they're a young team. I know you never know what can happen in the Stanley Cup playoffs. The core they have, they've already exceeded expectations. House money series for them. Yeah, I think it's important that, you know, Ranger fans look at this as like a building block. They're, you know, they might win this series. You never know. But even if they don't, um, it was a battle first round against Pittsburgh. Uh, They could have easily lost that series at any different point especially trailing right in the last three games, each of them um, in each individual game. So, yeah, I'm impressed with what the Rangers have shown in terms of adjustments. Uh, They really hit a wall in that first round when they were trailing three to one and getting blown out in those road games. And I like the adjustments by Gallant. Again, they have an elite goalie to build around and superstar players across the lineup. And yeah, again, to touch on what Kreider did today, Kreider is like a net front guy. He scores dirty goals and stuff like that. That was an awesome, right, toe drag backwards, you know, top shelf snipe by him. So the Rangers have a lot of skill to build around now and in the future. But I like what I've seen from the group overall this year, you know, kind of joining that second tier, maybe not like top five team in the NHL, but definitely in that six to 10 range, I think. Pete Jensen, Rockstar over at the NHL Network. Thanks for a couple of minutes, bud. It's always good catching up. And next year, maybe you'll get me to put in a fantasy hockey team. Maybe that is what I need to keep my interest where it needs to be throughout the regular season. Maybe we would get me in like a big stakes, high money fantasy hockey league and you could kind of coach me up. You know, we'll make a little reality show out of it. Yeah, if you have the time for it, it'll make you a expanded hockey fan for sure. You'll be super aware, even more this, even more so than you already are. I know you're always, you know, watching Vegas and stuff like that, and keeping track of the gambling trends and things like that. But yeah, there's no better way to learn more about the rest of the league uh, than by playing fantasy. And definitely check out the NHL Fantasy on Ice podcast. We go all year round covering fantasy and betting and DFS. So uh, keep it tuned into that. But thanks so much for having me on, JJ. Pete Jensen, all sorts of good stuff on the NHL Network. Good stuff there on Rangers and the Carolina Hurricanes. All right, we're coming right back. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. 
When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. So Pete likes the Hurricanes now in six. He thought five initially, now he's thinking six. Well, we'll see if the Rangers can shock the world. I feel like them winning this series would surprise a whole lot of people. It surprised me. Because Carolina has looked like the better team. They have looked like the better team. And we'll see if the Rangers can find a way to get this series even. Then you start daring to dream a little bit more. 3-1, they're not coming back from 3-1 again. You remember I said that. There's no way in the world this team is coming back 3-1 again. Doesn't happen. Track record of that is not particularly good in the NHL or the NBA postseason. All right. We're going to mix in trivia tonight because we didn't do it. We had our Spotify Lives the last couple of days. Larry has been waiting in the wings to go and get me. So, buddy, the floor is yours. What am I looking at? JJ Larry in Florida. There's a two-baseball trivia tonight. Name the five players in Major League history to hit at least 100 homers with three different teams. And the second one, I'll give you a layup. Name the two Cuban-born World Series MVPs. I'm out. All right, I'll start with the Cuban MVPs. Number one, Levan Hernandez. 97 Marlins. That's right. 97 Marlins. Levon Hernandez. The other World Series MVP who is Cuban. I want to say Jose Contreras with the 05 Chicago White Sox. It was not Contreras. It was not Contreras. Damn. Forgot who is that 2005 uh, MVP. Might have been Canerco. Who the hell knows? Who the hell knows? Larry's telling me this one's a layup. It's a layup. Oh, it was um, it was last year. It was Solaire for the Braves. There we go. How can I forget that one? I'm annoyed. I'm annoyed. I should have gotten both of those easily. I got Levon Hernandez, and I totally blanked on Solaire last year with the uh. The piss missile he hit in game six at Houston. That ball almost left the stadium. All right, so good job on the Cuban World Series MVPs. All right, 100 home runs with three different teams. So you got to think about guys who have bounced around, but you also have to think about guys who have a shitload of power. The first one I am giving you, Stefan, Nelson Cruz. Really? I would have figured that Nelson Cruz would add 100 home runs with three different teams. All right, fair enough. All right, I think I got the next one. Alex Rodriguez. Of course, Seattle Mariners, Texas Rangers, New York Yankees. Alex Rodriguez, choice number one. Choice number two, power-hating guys, 100 home runs, with three different teams. See, see, two is a lot easier. Three is where you really got to put your thinking cap on. You really got to dig deep. I'm throwing this guy on this list. I'm not particularly confident. 
but Jim Tomei thinking Cleveland, Philly, Chicago. There we go. I'm proud of that answer because Tomei had some underrated monster years with the Chicago White Sox. Monster. I loved his stance. I used to emulate the Jim Tomei batting stance all the time. I uh, love it. One of my favorite, favorite batting stances ever. Okay, so two down, one to go. 100 home runs, three different teams. See, I would have I would have been 1,000% sure that Nelson Cruz would have gotten it with Seattle and would have gotten it with the um, Texas Rangers, but then the third team is where it gets dicey. Okay. 100 home runs, three different teams. Stefan, this is my first and only hint for the day, I think. Is it an American or a National League player? Uh, one of these guys he played for, uh, whew, it's three more, right? So, American League, yeah. Two of these guys are well known for their time in the American League. And then the other guy, he spent the majority of his career in the National League. Okay. So, two of these guys, mm, American League players, and then the other one in the National League. Okay. Okay. Oh, Teixeira, no. I don't think Teixeira had enough time with the Braves. Texas, definitely. Yankees, definitely. I don't think Teixeira spent enough time with the Braves. Uh, Teixeira is not a correct answer, is he? I didn't think so. I didn't think so. I did not think so. Oh, I think I might have one. Vladimir Guerrero. See, not enough time in Texas. Not enough time in Texas. Give me a hint, Stefan, and then I'm, I'm, I'm giving up on the last answer. It's been a good effort all along. I'm you, actually not mad. So one of the guys that you did mention, he retired playing in Texas. Retired? Playing in Texas. Hmm. Rafael Palmero? <laughs> See, I was thinking maybe, but he, he the third team was there was no good for him. Retired playing of Sammy Sosa? <laughs> Who the hell is it? You want all three of the guys, or you want to yeah, take just another stab? Give me stab? all three. Give me all three. I took enough. Guys. This guy, you're you're gonna kill yourself for not guessing, Mister October, Reggie oh, Jackson. Reggie Jackson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, Angels, Yankees, A's. Yeah, that's 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 bad job by me. That's a bad job. Adrian Beltre was the guy I was trying to feed to you. Wow. See, Beltre, Dodgers, Mariners, Rangers. See, I forgot about all those home runs he hit with Seattle. So I, I wouldn't have pinned him as a three, even though he bounced around a lot. All right, so Beltre, Reggie Jackson. Who was the other one? The last guy I would not have expected you to get, Daryl Evans. 
No, I would not have gotten 70s. He played for 20 years, though. Really great career. No, yeah, good career. Really good really career. Really great career. The one I should have got, let's be honest, Stefan. The Mr. one October. I should have got yeah, was Reggie sure. Jackson. And uh, if my mother is listening, she will not be happy considering she's a child of the 70s and loved Reggie and loved Thurman Munson, which is weird because I feel like you were either a Reggie guy or a Thurman guy or gal. Um, she happened to like both. So, you know, she was in on all those 70s guys. Bucky Dent. Pinella, Mickey Rivers, the whole deal. All right. So, listen, all in all, my return to trivia did not go as bad as it could have. I'll take that. Small victories in life. Now I'll take the small victories on the golf course. All right, Jeff Money, the floor is yours before we say goodbye. What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper pictures piece for tomorrow, Monday the 23rd. We got NBA action. I'm going to roll with the Celtics minus the six and a half over the Miami Heat. Just rebounding from their last game at home. I think they're going to make a big difference uh, in this one. So, again, I'm going to take the Celtics minus the six and a half. And everyone could always follow all my daily plays on Twitter at Jeff Money. Okay, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. Jeff Money, we are heads up, my friend, on game four. What a performance by Miami in game three. They hold on for dear life. They survive without Jimmy Butler in the second half. I think they're going to be spunky in this game. I really do. I know Boston has to have it. I do not think it will be easy for the Celtics. That line is not budged off for six and a half. I'm going the other way here. I'm taking Miami to cover. I don't know if I if Miami's going to win the game outright, but I'm going to grab the six and a half. I don't think Miami is mailing that game in in the least. The other series, all but over. And I had a bad feeling this was going to happen. I thought maybe Dallas could get a game or two. Dallas just does not have the firepower to keep up with Golden State if Golden State's going to be playing like this. I mean, uh, it's the one-man Luka show, you know? Like, Dallas Dallas was such a mismatch in this series with the Warriors. And really, the shame is that we did not get the series we all wanted to see in the Western Conference, which would have been the Warriors taking on the Phoenix Suns. Golden State probably would have won the series, let's be honest. But, you know, you get 27 points out of Andrew Wiggins. Hey, Doncic got his. He went for 40, 11-23 from the field. Tough to win otherwise, though, when you're going 13-45 from three. Very, very tough. So, less the conference finals all, but over. All right, so here's the deal for this week. We are on Spotify Live after game four for the Rangers. So, what we're going to do is we'll go after Rangers and Yankees. We're not going to wait for Mets. Not going to make you guys wait till 2 o'clock in the morning. After Yankees and after Rangers, we will sign on. We will post it as a podcast Thursday. We will have a similar situation. So the Rangers play on Tuesday. They also play on Thursday. And the baseball schedule for this week, Thursday you're looking at Yankees raise at 640 and the Mets are off. So we won't have any issues there. So Thursday after Yankees and Rangers, Tuesday after Yankees and Rangers, but don't worry, we'll, any big Met news, we'll have you covered every which way. Stefan, fabulous job. Voicemails were great. Get them in for Sunday of next week. We'll be rock and rolling as far as that goes. Enjoy your week, everybody. Can't believe it. Summer's here. Time is right for dancing in the streets. You should have saw me dancing on the floor. Bringing down Mallard Island. I mean, a lot of people don't know what hit them with some of the dance moves I was breaking out. But dancing, with, dancing in the streets. I'm singing with the band. I'm... Doing to get low, I was I was into it. My wedding game, my wedding swag was like top notch. So if there's any video or uh, anything worthy of sharing for anybody who was at that particular wedding, or you noticed that I was at that particular wedding, let's go get it my way. I'll put it up on Twitter and Instagram. All right, on that note, my dance moves spectacular. This podcast ton of fun. 
JJ out. Enjoy your week. Be good, everybody. We'll chat Tuesday.